And good evening, everybody, and thank you for choosing King Jordan Radio for Tuesday, October 14th, 2014. This is King Jordan you're listening to. Just want to remind you that on Thursday, Joey Jackson and Tom Mesereau right here, 9 o'clock at the same time for the first time ever. Now, uh, let me bring in our wrestling insider out of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the one and only uh, Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ. Welcome to, back to King Jordan Radio. How are you? Hey, King. Uh, like you said, lots to talk about. Another great show of King Jordan Radio, recapping Monday Night Raw, TNA's Bound for Glory, uh, talking about the 15th anniversary of SmackDown, uh, also news of the upcoming 2K15 movie video game. Also, we found out recently that Dave Batista had just got a signed part in the next upcoming James Bond film, the 24th James Bond film. It is now the, going to be the fourth film starring uh, Daniel Craig as James Bond. So that's big news for Batista. Awesome. Let me uh, let some other parties in. I think... We should have Dominic in. Uh, let me see if he's in line two. Uh, Dominic, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. What's up, King? Okay. Now let's hope we don't have the same problem we did last week. Let's try uh, Blackjack Brown. Uh, Blackjack, are you with us? King, what's up? Okay. What's going on, Dominic? You're on the phone with uh, JJ and uh, myself. How you doing, bro? Hey. JJ, what's up, man? Hey, Dominic. Glad to have you back on, man. I uh, wish we could get Blackjack on. Hopefully we don't have the same problem uh, as last time. Yeah, really. Yeah, that was hard to hard to deal with at times. But uh, let's. what do you want to start with, Manfred Worry? Let's start there. You saw it, JJ. Uh, why don't you uh, give us a quick recap? Yeah, Bound for Glory, uh, you know, we talked about it before. Uh, we said it was probably going to be the best three hours of wrestling you would see all year as far as pay-per-views are concerned. Uh, one of my only complaints about Bound for Glory is that they constantly promoted it as a one-night-only TNA versus Wrestle 1, and it made me realize that, well, technically TNA already does the one-night-only pay-per-views, and those only cost $15. Now, Bound for Glory cost about thirty nine ninety nine. So considering it's a one night only affair, I really wish they would have lowered the price on it. But it was a great pay per view. You did get your money's worth if you ordered it. Uh they kicked off with an X Division style match between Manic and Minunuru Tanaka. It was a phenomenal opening start to the match. I mean Minoru did I believe a moonsault uh off the top of the the, the ring ropes to the floor. I mean, there were so many. It was such a quick, fast-paced uh, match. You really had to keep up and really pay attention to what was going on. I mean, it was really great. There were lots of counters and arm drags. It was just uh, a real, a real uh, treat to kick off Bound for Glory. And Minoru Tanaka got the pinfall. And uh, actually, it wasn't a pinfall. He used, and a lot of wrestling fans might know Alberto Del Rio, but he used the sort of spinning arm breaker to defeat Manic. So it was a really excellent match. And the Japanese uh, crowd over 
and uh, at the Bound for Glory pay-per-view, really very respectful. You always hear of uh, they're very quiet, not because they're bored, but they're quiet out of respect and watching and really appreciating the quality wrestling. And they really, they were actually a pretty vocal bunch because they were clapping, they were cheering, they were chanting in English. So it was really cool, lots of uh, fun to see. Uh, next up, there was Ethan Carter the Third taking uh, Retoro Hama. Now, if you don't know who Hama is, let me just say that he's like a mini Yokozuna. He's like two or three Rikishis put together. I mean, he's just a uh, wrestler with a very Samoan style, big, big guy. So uh, Ethan Carter had a lot to go up against. Ethan Carter has been undefeated. He's been mentioning that he has been in TNA for one full calendar year. And uh, he's defeated Sting, the icon. He's defeated the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. And he recently, a few uh, months ago, defeated Bully Ray in a tables match. So they've been really pushing EC3 hard. And he really had the the deck stacked against them with Hamana, who is really a super heavyweight. Uh, It's really difficult to uh, wrestle someone who you can't even slam or suplex. And I thought, for the most part, Ethan did a pretty good job in the match. It was uh, fun. They, uh, Hama took some liberties and really used his weight. And there were times where he just squashed EC3. And I thought EC3 was done. He looked like a pancake. But uh, it was a pretty solid match. And Ethan Carter got the win with his one percenter move, which uh, for any WWE fans might be familiar. It used to be the old uh, Dean Ambrose Dirty Deeds, that sort of face implant DDT, uh, reverse DDT. But uh, a nice solid match, more of a fun match, just seeing the weight difference between Hamana and EC3. But uh, nonetheless, great way to kick it off. Next up, MVP versus Kazuma Sakamoto, and as Dominic pointed out before, they even acknowledged on the pay-per-view that Sakamoto was, in fact, the manager of Tensai at the WWE. In fact, at one point during the match, MVP just yelled at him and said, hey, where's Tensai? And then that uh, drove the fans crazy, and they were chanting, where's Tensai? But uh, another great match. MVP actually opened up with a promo about why he left uh, the WWE, even though he didn't say the WWE by name, but he mentioned leaving uh, a big uh, million-dollar company and going to Japan and having a lot of respect for the Japanese wrestlers, and that when he was a kid watching wrestling, you know, he was inspired by the Japanese wrestlers. He wasn't, you know, inspired by the sports entertainers. So that was a really cool moment of MVP shooting uh, to the fans and to the crowd. So that was uh, a really cool. And the match itself was uh, really nice between MVP and Sakamoto. I mean, uh, if you're familiar with Sakamoto, he didn't do too, too much wrestling in the WWE, but, you know, he was a pretty good talent. There was a nice match with MVP. MVP uh, got the win with his shining wizard, a la the great Muda. Uh, really great match. And I thought uh, it was just uh, a lot of fun. I, I enjoy just, uh, you know, watching MVP and how he's really calm, and he took this match very serious. I feel like he really wanted to prove the Japanese crowd, and he wanted to make everyone proud of uh, his match because, you know, he, he again, like I said, he left the WWE to go to Japan where he made a name for himself in Japan. So to be able to come back there I think was real special, and I think he worked really hard to make that a really good match. And uh, next up, the triple threat match for the X Division title, Loki, 
uh, taking on Samoa Joe for the X Division title. Also in that match was Kaz Hayashi, who, again, Dominic pointed out, I believe, was a part of WCW. Maybe you remember seeing him on uh, a few Monday Night uh, Nitros. He wrestled there. And uh, this was just another, what a match. I'm so glad uh, it turned into a triple threat match. I think the action was just, there was so much going on between Joe and Loki and Kaz. And, of course, the fans, again, the Japanese crowd, so cool. In English, they are chanting, Joe's going to kill you. So that's just something that translates (laughs) no matter where you are. But uh, it was another really hard-hitting match. There was a point where I think Samoa Joe had an STF on Loki, and then Kaz went on top of Joe and put him in the crossface. So they had this sort of double move going on. It was just really awesome. And uh, there was just there was one moment I think where Kaz I think was going to do a slingshot to Loki. Loki landed on the uh, second rope and he did a sort of a, a backwards double stomp to uh, Kaz, which again just was just something you just had to see. And Joe, of course, you know Air Samoa, as Taz likes to say, with his suicide dives. There were a lot of reports that Joe wasn't 100%, and that was one of the reasons why it was turned into a triple threat match. But Joe, if he was hurt, he didn't show it. I mean, he looked really great. It was, again, another awesome match for the X Division title. The X Division, of course, no limits, and I think there were no limits in that match. Uh, Joe remained the X Division champion by his Conquita clutch, and it was just a a really cool point where after the match, Joe got on the mic and talked to the crowd and he mentioned that, you know, I am pro wrestling and he really put over, you know, the Japanese audience in Japan. So he was very respectful to the culture, which again, very cool. And of course, next up, there was a special tag match between, I I believe the wrestle one, none of the TNA wrestlers were involved, but again, I mean, these guys showed what makes tag team wrestling so great. It was a really fast paced match between uh, Ko, Ko, Kodama and uh, uh, Kiroshima Jiro versus Andy Wu and Pantera. I mean, these guys were just, again, much like the opening match between Manic and Minoru Tanaga, just fast-paced, exhibition style, loads of fun. There was uh, one guy, Kiroshiro Jiro, who wrestled in a jacket through the entire match. He actually reminded me a lot of uh, Brian Kendrick. If you remember Brian, uh, Brian Kendrick in the WWE, he had that gimmick, the Brian Kendrick, and he would wear this jacket, and he was like this big star. Uh, I felt like uh, Kiyoshina had that similar gimmick where he was like a rock star. He had big wavy hair. He cared about his appearance, and he just had this you know, attitude that was just very sim- similar. But, again, what a match. These guys are doing some amazing moves, and it was just a really great tag team match. Even though it didn't feature anyone from TNA, anyone could appreciate uh, the quality of wrestling that these guys put on. And, of course, when you think tag team wrestling, next up was the recap of the 2014 TNA Hall of Famers, Team 3D. They showed a brief clip of Tommy Dreamer presenting them with their Hall of Fame Rolex watches. And, of course, they would go on to have their match. It was uh, Team 3D for one more time taking on Tommy Dreamer and the Monster Abyss. And, of course, Dreamer paying respect 
to his mentor, Terry Funk. He came out with a bandana wrapped around his head. Terry Funk, who did many tours uh, over in Japan. It was a very, very cool tribute to him. And again, the match, this was everything you could have wanted out of Team 3D. It was that sort of hardcore match where these guys went throughout the arena just beating the hell out of each other, hard-hitting match, and the fans were chanting for tables. And, uh, you know, eventually Abyss pulled out some thumbtacks, and uh, there was at one point where Abyss got uh, the ring bell, and he put it by uh, Bully Ray's head, and he just sort of dinged him uh, with the ring bell in the head, and it was just uh, a great moment. Bully Ray reciprocated by grabbing the ring bell and putting it uh, by Abyss's nether regions and then ringing the bell, so that uh, looked very painful. I was glad I wasn't Abyss during that moment. But uh, excellent, excellent uh, match. Like I said, this was Team 3D. They wanted to go out with a bang, and I thought uh, they did an excellent job. A lot of fans were worried that maybe this match wouldn't happen. We all know that Bully Ray's contract with TNA was up, but he did sign an extension just so that he could appear and wrestle in Japan for this. uh, I don't know if this will be his final time or what's next for Team 3D, but the match itself was great, and uh, it's sad to say that this will be the last time we see Team 3D and TNA but they, they really did go out with a bang. It was a lot of fun. And then when the match yeah, was over, of course, you knew you knew that Team 3 was going to get the... They've been in TNA since 2005, I think, or 2006, something like that. I know they've been in there for a while. So, yeah, just about yeah, they, nine they, years. Say so. so again, Jay? Jay? Yeah. They've been around for about nine years uh, in TNA. So, yeah, very close to ten years, almost a decade uh, in total nonstop action wrestling. I mean, they've really done it all. They were the NWA Tag Team Champions. Eventually, when the the partnership with the NWA dissolved, of course, they won the TNA Tag Titles. And there was even one point in their career in TNA where they would come to the ring with the WWE Tag Titles, the WCW Tag Titles, the ECW Tag Titles, the IWJ, uh, the All Japan Pro Wrestling Tag Titles. I mean, these guys, I don't know how they pulled that one off, how they appeared with the other companies' titles, but they did it, and uh, they created so many great moments. There were highlights throughout the night of some of the matches that they've had over the years. One match that I completely forgot about was a match they had against Animal and Rick Steiner. Of course, Animal from the Road Warriors and the Legion of Doom. Of course, Hawk passed away, so they couldn't. We never got to see Team 3D versus the Road Warriors, but this was as close as you were going to get Animal teaming up with another famous uh, tag team wrestler, of the Steiner brothers, Rick Steiner. So that was a match that I I completely forgot about. So it was cool to see highlights of that. Of course, highlights of Team 3D taking on uh, Beer Money in the six-sided ring. And then, of course, most recently they showed when Bully Ray put Dixie Carter through a table, which is probably one of TNA's biggest moments in its nearly, what, 12-year career. existence i mean of all the things they've done that was something i don't think anyone really thought they would see that dixie carter going through a table so uh, lots of great memories and moments from team 3d and they were very respectful to the fans they thanked the fans they thanked but not just the fans in japan but the fans from all over the world who have supported them 
they thanked, of course, you know, Tommy Dreamer, who's been there for them, and they just thanked everyone because if it wasn't for them, of course, there would be no Team 3D. So it was a, just a very nice sort of touching moment for them to just be very appreciative of uh, being in the Hall of Fame and all all they've done over the past nearly 20 years, if you can imagine, these guys have been tag teaming together, and it was really something. And, of course, uh, next up, the Knockouts Championship. Havoc, the newly Knockouts champion who defeated Gail Kim on Impact, defended the title against Velvet Sky, and uh, this was a you know pretty good match. It was kind of it feels like it was put together at the last minute. They didn't have a lot of time to build a feud with Velvet and Havoc. Like I said, Havoc's still very new uh, in TNA. She just beat uh, Gail Kim for the Knockouts title, but uh, I was very impressed by Velvet. She was very aggressive. She was really doing pretty well against Havoc. Havoc, of course, is very big you know, mean, nasty woman. She's coming in as just a monster, and she's destroying the knockouts. So this was a match where she was just going to give it to Velvet Sky, and she actually won the match just with a very vicious bear hug, as simple uh, as that may have been. But, you know, with Havoc, it's just very vicious. She's a very hard-hitting woman, and she just has a very intimidating presence. She's got a very unique look. She looks like a, a character from Mortal Kombat. I mean, she's she's a very unique character, and I think she's going to do a lot of big things uh, in TNA, especially as the Knockouts champion. And, of course, the main event of the night, uh, this is something you've been watching and it's been developing uh, in the past few weeks in uh, TNA and Impact Wrestling. James Storm has uh, mentored Sonata, and he eventually has been uh, calling him, dubbing him the Great Sonata as a way to say that he is even greater than the great Muda and the James Storm teamed up with the great Sonata to take on Tajiri and the great Muda and this was just another another example of a really great tag team match lots of fun it wasn't a, a quick pace like the other matches before but just kind of a really great traditional tag team wrestling match uh and I really uh, again there was this of course great Muda Tajiri very infamous for their mist. Of course, uh, it was before the match even started, they did a double mist, a red and green mist. And he had Sonata to prove that you know he's in the same league as the Great Muda. Even started adopting a blue mist, and he has his face painted the way Muda used to. I mean, it's, it was just really cool to see this uh, feud develop over the last few weeks and even months and impact, and to see them finally have this match and to get their hands on each other finally. It was really cool and a great way to end the show, especially in Japan, as this is a Wrestle One uh, joint uh, partnership pay per view. But a really excellent match to Jerry. Of course, we all know with those hard-hitting kicks. I mean, he does some lethal kicks. And I think James Storm has really transitioned well as the mentor to Sonata and Manic. Manic, who's taken a change in character, and he's being mentored by James Storm as well. And they have this really unique kind of faction. And I really am uh, really into it, Storm very feels like this sort of cult leader and he's sort of brainwashed Manic and Sonata and uh, just uh, the match itself what an excellent match and of course the great Muda 
doing his uh, signature moves, as I mentioned before. You know, MVP paid tribute to him. He does the Shining Wizard, and Muda did that as well. There was one point in the match where Sonata did a moonsault, a moonsault against something very well-known with uh, the great Muda, an excellent match. But uh, eventually, even though Tajiri and Muda got the win, Game Storm still attacked. And uh, he had Manic come to the ring, and they were attacking Tajiri and Muda. It was a three-on-two scenario. And just when you thought uh, the great Muda and Tajiri were done for, here comes the newest Hall of Famers in the TNA Hall of Fame. Team 3D cleared the ring and took care of business, and uh, they saved the great Muda and Tajiri. So a really great moment to end what really was a great pay-per-view from start to finish. As we mentioned before, it was probably the best quality uh, wrestling you'll see in a pay-per-view. Uh, my, again, my only complaint is that this was a sort of a one-night-only affair, and if you're an avid watcher of Impact on Spike TV, you know, seeing the sort of the Wrestle One wrestlers might kind of throw you off. You're not familiar with these guys, but these guys are so talented, and they just had some great matches. So anyone that ordered a pay-per-view, hopefully uh, – and happy that they did and that they really appreciated the great talent that was on this card. And, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing what's next for TNA and especially what's next for Team 3D now that uh, their their run is done in TNA. And, uh, Dominic, did you get a chance to see it? No, I didn't because every time I try to order a pay-per-view through Time Warner, I seem to get a runaround. So Jeff tapes it for me, and I'm waiting to get the tape. According to Jeff, it was a very good pay-per-view, outstanding stuff done by the TNA guys and the Japanese guys with the intermixing of stuff. Now, a couple of guys that called the hotline, they got it through pay-per-view, and they said it was a clusterfuck, that the guys were just going through the motions, almost like they almost didn't want to be there because they know TNA's days are numbered. I don't know, but according to J.J., he made it sound like it was really good, and I can't wait to get the tape now. Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as wrestling goes, this was some great wrestling. The X Division, the tag matches, but uh, you know, like I said, my only complaint is if you're an avid TNA fan, this maybe wouldn't make sense to you. Why would Ethan Carter III wrestle Hamana? Why would MVP wrestle Sakamoto? So in that regard, I could understand some people being turned off or not wanting to invest in the pay-per-view or being upset by seeing guys they're not familiar with. That's, right. I guess, maybe the only complaint I could understand. But if you see the wrestling, I think you could appreciate it. These guys, you know, put a lot of effort in. Whether or not uh, they have asked it because they feel TNA is going out, I didn't see that. You know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But if you see it, Dominic, I would love to hear your opinions on it. Yeah, next next week. Probably, because I'll probably get the tape one day this week. Okay, let me see if Blackjack is here, and hopefully uh, the noise level will be uh, corrected. Uh, Blackjack, uh, let me let you in. Are you are you with us? Blackjack going once, going twice, gone. Okay, let's see another line. Uh, Blackjack... Going once, blackjack going twice. Okay, blackjack gone. Okay, uh, so getting back to that TNA Bound for Glory, um, JJ, out of five stars, how many stars would you give it? 
Well, I would give it, uh, you know, four and a half stars. I think, you know, they really delivered from a wrestling standpoint. Uh, like I said, the inconsistency of these guys not really having developed a story together over the past few weeks. One of the main matches, like I said, James Storm and Sonata. This is something you've been watching develop over the past few weeks and months in TNA. Even the feud between Samoa Joe and Loki, this is something we've been seeing every week on Impact and them sort of being in each other's face or wrestling for the X Division title. So these were matches that were, we've seen develop. And even Havoc, even though she just won the title and uh, she's Hera and Velvet didn't really get a chance to develop a feud, I would have rather seen maybe Gail Kim in the match, but I think Gail's hurt, so we won't be seeing Gail Kim for a while. But for the most part, like I said, as far as wrestling goes, this was an excellent show. Uh, whether or not you're upset that maybe the TNA world champion, Bobby Lashley, wasn't there, much like Brock Lesnar, who's not there, who doesn't defend the title every month. This was one of those instances where, you know, TNA likes to brag that Bound for Glory, this is our biggest pay-per-view of the year, and they didn't have their world champion. So, you know, I didn't complain. I said that the quality of wrestling, it still worked. The WWE's pay-per-view last month, September's pay-per-view, or Bound for Glory overall? Well, it's hard for me to compare the two because they're two very different pay-per-views. Like I said, you know, WWE, they continue with their storyline. The matches sometimes don't even matter. It's all about progressing the storylines. It's all about the entertainment value. TNA this month was focused on wrestling. The storylines didn't have a whole lot to do with the show besides maybe one or two, as I mentioned. Like I said, WWE is a little bit of a different machine in what they give to the fans and what they progress Every now and then they'll put they'll turn out maybe a gem. We'll see something special with maybe Dean Ambrose or some of the other guys like Seth Rollins who work really hard, or the Usos, the tag teams really work hard. But uh, it for me it's too hard to really compare the two. I did thoroughly enjoy Bound for Glory seeing it. So you know which one had a better pay per view? I honestly think TNA was a better pay per view just because I enjoyed the quality of wrestling. That was a great point. Without even seeing TNA, I would have to say that was a better pay-per-view than WWE. (laughs) WWE relies too much on storylines and less on wrestling more and more and more. Yeah. Like like no other company. Uh, (laughs) All right, let's try Blackjack again. Uh, Let's see. Blackjack, are you there? Blackjack. Blackjack okay, maybe he's on the other line. Okay. Um, Blackjack, are you there? Blackjack, your line is open. Earth to Blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I I think he's trying to talk, but I I hear a little of him, but it's not coming through all the way, but anyway, uh, we'll leave it for a second, but uh, uh, let me ask you about last year's Bound for Glory, JJ, and this year's Bound for Glory. Take me back to last year's Bound for Glory and, and compare it to this year's, which was better. Well, again, you know, last year's Bound for Glory was a, a little bit different. We saw, 
you know, Ethan Carter debut. We saw the icon Sting. Uh, you know, Hogan was still there. They still had the, the sort of aces and eights thing was coming to an end. Uh, you know, it was it was a different show because it continued with the themes of what was going on at that particular time in the storylines. The storylines this year, like I said, didn't play as much as a factor. That was Hogan's last appearance last year for TNA, or something like that. Close last pay per view, at least. I believe I believe that was one of his final uh, appearances with the company before, of course, you know, he signed on with WWE this year. Right, right. So uh, I I remember Bound for Glory is always being good though. Uh, like three years yeah, ago, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, last, year, last year was special because you had AJ Styles. AJ Styles was still in the company. Uh, I think it was a, a world title match between AJ and Bully Ray. Uh, like I said, Ethan Carter was still new. He was taking on, you know, jobbers, guys with no names. And uh, Magnus, I think, defeated Sting. It was Sting's way of really uh, elevating Magnus. Of course, Magnus would soon become a world champion for TNA. So, you know, getting that victory over Sting was huge. Uh, back then, you know, Chris Sabin was still in the company, and uh, I think he took on, oh, was it, I think, Austin Aries and Jeff Hardy and Samoa Joe for uh, an X-Division title match. So it was just a real different show last year than the one this year. I mean, again, nothing bad. The talent of TNA last year, incredible, great talent. Again, that's, like I said, the storylines that built up to Bound for Glory. TNA likes to build it as their biggest show of the year. It's their WrestleMania. So you are, you're going to want to see the biggest and best matches and storylines come to an end or start, you know, brand new ones. So last year was good in its own way, and this year was good too just because it was something different. It was something unique. It was something new that TNA was just trying to, you know, you can't blame them for trying something new. It was a big risk taking uh, the pay-per-view to Japan and have it being a joint production with Wrestle 1 and having the Wrestle 1 competitors, you know, on the show. Again, it didn't do a whole lot for progressing the storylines, but the wrestling was great. Which match would you say got the most heat? Um, like the crowd was in. You know, like I said, the crowd was really great. It was a great, the respectful Japanese audience. I think they were into just about everything they saw. They liked. It's funny because they actually liked the TNA wrestlers more than the Japanese wrestlers, which you would assume that they would be cheering for their hometown guys, the guys who have been there and wrestling, but they actually, they knew, they were familiar with the TNA guys, and they were cheering for Samoa Joe. They were cheering for MVP. They were cheering for Manic, and they, of course, were cheering for Team 3D and Get the Tables, and uh, they were cheering, of course, for the Great Muda. But, uh, I mean, it was they were a really great crowd. They, they really enjoyed the show, I thought, Really, which one did they enjoy the most? Uh, I don't know. I think it might be a, a toss-up between the Team 3D match uh, with Tommy Dreamer and Abyss, which was just a hardcore all-out brawl, and you know they were fighting with the fans. They were high-fiving the fans, so that was a fun experience for them. And uh, of course, James Storm, who uh, at first the fans were cheering him, but at one point he did a promo to talk down and degrade. <laughs> the uh, Japanese audience, so then they they turned on him and they started booing him and Sonata, 
But, uh, you know, like I said, really, they were really thoroughly enjoyed by, you know, almost all the matches on the card. I don't think there was a moment where it was really too quiet. As I said before, the Japanese audience, very respectful when they're quiet. It's not because they're bored. They're quiet because they're paying respect. But in this case, they were actually making some noise, man. They were cheering. They were a great crowd. So they really enjoyed the pay-per-view. Yeah, it's it's a much different crowd than the U.S. crowd. Like you said, they're very quiet and uh, that's a different way of uh, saying things. Uh, in any event, uh, I, I do want you to go over Raw, but before that, um, if you can get us the birthdays, that would be great. Uh, before yeah, we get sure. into Raw, yep. and after right. that, we'll get into... Smackdown, and of course, this uh, report is brought to you by Dominic Valente's Hot Seat, which you can call every day, updated daily at 212-629-1900. So there you go. Okay. Before I do the birthdays, we did lose an old-time wrestler, Cowboy Bob Kelly, 78 years old. He was one of the stars of the Gulf Coast area. Uh, from 67 to 76, he was in declining health in recent months due to lung cancer and a whole bunch of other stuff. Him and his wife were successful in real estate, and they actually opened an orphanage in Africa. And they were married 55 years. They got five kids. And Cowboy Bob Kelly, one of the mainstays in Gulf Coast, gone, 78 years old. All right, today's wrestlers' birthdays, we got Dan Spivey. Uh, We got Kurt Von Stroheim, another one of the old-time guys. Uh, We got Stacey Keebler, Nikolai Volkov, Blackjack Lanza, ringside Ryan Andrews. Uh, We got Jack Hammer. We got The Bouncer. We got Agent Steele. And uh, celebrities, uh, let's see, we got Greg Evigan, Usher, uh, Ralph Lauren, Vincent Spano, Roger Moore, Harry Anderson, and Yankee manager Joe Girardi. And today in wrestling history, it is a great one. October 14, 1985, Hacksaw Butch Reed defeated Dick Murdoch in New Orleans, Louisiana, to win for the second time uh, the Mid-South North American title. Oh, wow. And uh, uh, the birthday you mentioned, uh, somebody significant. Whose birthday was it again? That that was pretty significant. Oh, well, we had Raw last week, and Raw paid tribute, right? Um, last yeah, Raw mentioned. Yeah. Okay. Uh, first of all, before you go over Raw, Dominic, what's your thoughts on it? On Raw from last night? It sucked. Yes. Okay. It sucked. Just the same to people were in every segment. I mean, how boring can you get? It was unbelievably horrible. Every week I say the same thing. Can Raw get any worse? And it does. It gets <laughs> right. worse and worse every week. You know, when J.J. was talking about the the TNA guys over in Japan... The American guys are revered over in Japan. Japanese have a whole different style that they sit there quiet out of respect. And they love what they see. When they cheer loudly, it's very rare. But 
they love what they see, whether it's their own guys from their promotion or somebody brought in. Last night's Raw, if they ever threw that, if if, if they ever did a paper, a show like this in Japan, like Raw was last night, forget about it. Forget about it. The Japanese people will become Russians and stand by Rusev. We open up the show with Dean Ambrose, which is always a great way to open up the show. Talking about Seth Rollins and Helen Cell coming up. He talks about John Cena. And, of course, out comes John Cena. Now, we're only in segment one, and Cena's already out. Cena comes out and confronts Dean Ambrose and says he doesn't like the way Cena is talking to him. He said, don't talk to me like I'm some rookie. I've been around, John. And we're still in the first segment. Out comes Triple H and Stephanie. They come out. They said, Cena and Ambrose look like they want to fight, Steph. What do you think? Well, I think we should let them fight, Hunter. What do you think? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll bet on it. We'll see if they want to fight. And we'll put them in a three-way against the Usos and Goldust and Stardust to see if they can get along as a team. Now, if that was me, I wouldn't have did that. I would have put Cena, say, with, with Sheamus and put Ambrose maybe with Big E Langston. Because they want to fight. Go. They want to fight against each other. They don't want to be each other's partner. So then we go to the That's first right. match, which includes John Cena. So he's out there still. John Cena and Dean Ambrose won a three-way over the Usos and Goldust with Cena getting the pinfall victory over Stardust. Now, why did they make Ambrose get the pin? I don't know. All right, next segment, Triple H and Stephanie. They come out, and Triple H puts Cena versus Ambrose for tonight instead of making it for the pay-per-view with the no-holds-barred match and the contract on a pole. Then we got AJ Lee and Layla. Layla looked fucking awesome with the hot pink shirt and the, the neon blue pants. She looked amazing. They defeated Paige and Alicia Fox, and Layla wouldn't tag AJ. Just like last week when AJ walked out on her partner, and she decided, now, turnabout is fair play. You walked out on your partner, I'm walking out on you. So Layla just dropped off the apron, and then AJ wound up fighting with Layla. But AJ still wound up winning it for her team. Then we got Randy Orton walking in on Triple H and Stephanie. Randy Orton talks about Dolph Ziggler, and he says John Cena and Dean Ambrose could beat the, uh, could beat anybody they want on any given day, but they can't beat me. And Orton wants a match at Hell in a Cell as well. And when he says that, he said Cena and Ambrose can, can beat Seth Rollins anytime. They're both better than him. But he doesn't want his spot stolen. Meanwhile, let me get a backstage promo by Bray Wyatt, who's only with Eric Rowan. So I think he's going to set his boys free to go at singles stuff. 
Then we got Randy Orton defeated Dolph Ziggler. And this match was great. This was the best thing on the entire show. The fans chanting, this is awesome. Cesaro was at the announce table. And then Seth Rollins comes out to watch. And for no reason at all, Seth Rollins comes in and does the curb stomp on Ziggler. He's got no beef with Ziggler. He just did it to show Randy Orton I can do what I want. So we go to the next match, and it's Seth Rollins defeating Jack Swagger. That poor bastard can't win. Jack Swagger with Zeb Coulter. And this time, Randy Orton comes out and RKO's Swagger and stares at Seth Rollins like, now I did the one-upmanship on you. All right? So that's what that was all about. Even though he's got no beef with Swagger, he wanted a one-up on Randy Orton, uh, on, on Seth. Then we got Renee Young with Dean Ambrose. And, of course, they're talking about John Cena. And Tom Phillips interviewed Big Show with his match coming up. And it was Rusev with Lana defeated Big Show on a DQ. Mark Henry came out because Big Show looked like he was injured and ready to pass out. He got involved in the match. And it looked like at one point Big Show was pissed off that the DQ was called by Mark Henry coming in because Big Show wanted to finish the match and knock out Rusev. So Rusev bails from the ring. He's standing with Lana, and on one side of the ring is Big Show. The other side is Mark Henry, and they got him more or less surrounded. So Rusev goes after Mark Henry, but when he turns to go at Big Show, Big Show knocks him out, and he's laying there. So meanwhile, Big Show and Mark Henry walk out together. And, of course, there was a pre-match promo by Rusev and Lana. Now, Tom Phillips interviewed Todd Grizzly for that show, the, the, the Grizzlies or the Griswolds or whatever the hell there is. I got no interest in that. Then we got The Miz defeated Sheamus on a countout when Damian Sandow got involved. And this has gotten to the point where it's really annoying. The camera wasn't even on the match. The camera was on watching Damian Sandow. Every time Miz got hit in the stomach, Sandow would hold his stomach. Sheamus put him in a leg lock, and there's Damian Sandow on the floor of the arena twisting his own leg. That got real stupid real fast. Backstage, we got the total divas from the show with somebody called Nene Leaks. And then they wound up introducing her later because it was Brie Bella, Natalia, and Naomi with Eve Torres and Nene Leaks defeated Nikki Bella, Cameron, and Summer Rae. They said Nene Leaks is an author, a TV star. She writes, she's a songwriter. She sings. She does a reality show. She does all that shit, and I never heard of her. Then we got <laughs> Renee Young with John Cena. Then we got Bray Wyatt doing a backstage promo. He's by himself. Then we're ready for the main event, and guess who comes out? Triple H and Stephanie again. This time they got Seth Rollins with them, and they got Kane with them. All right? Now, what do we need all these people out there? To watch one match. Why? 
Because right. there's going to be interference all over the place. Because if anything goes, Dean Ambrose defeated John Cena and got the contract. So now Dean Ambrose faces Seth Rollins in Hell in a Cell, and Cena gets Randy Orton at Hell in a Cell. Dean interfered. Um, Seth Rollins interfered. It was that was a clusterfuck, and with all these people interfering with the anything goes rule, which is obviously tossed out the window. So anybody, the popcorn guy and the janitor could also interfere, and there'd be no DQ. What a freaking waste. Too much John Cena, too much Triple H and Stephanie, and they seem to be relying only on the one feud with Cena and Ambrose deciding who they, who's going to wrestle Seth Rollins and who's going to wrestle Randy Orton. We're only a week, a week and a few days away from this pay-per-view, and we only got two matches. What are they waiting on? To throw shit in the that we're going to say, oh, fuck this, I ain't getting it. Very oh bad booking and a very bad raw. It's like I'm looking at the clock and saying, shit, it's five after nine only. I'm already bored. And Blackjack is emailing me and he's saying he's, he's agreeing with you, telling me that raw sucked last night. Oh, so, okay. uh, <laughs> How about you, JJ? What's your thoughts on Royal? Do you have a more of a positive outlook on it, or yeah, uh, I didn't hate the show. I always try to look at what they're doing right. I mean, it's very easy, as Dominic's point, to point out what they're doing wrong, and the show drags on for too long. So when I look at Raw, I try to see what they're doing right. And like Dominic said, whenever they open up the show with Dean Ambrose, they're doing something right. I like the way that they're having Ambrose sort of in Cena's face. He's challenging. Cena, he's acknowledging him that, you know, Cena is the face of the company. Cena even admitted it and said, if anybody wants to come up and rise up, they got to take me down. And Ambrose is the guy rising up, trying to take Cena down. And at one point, Ambrose said that he's going to climb up that pole, he's going to grab the contract, then he's going to grab the pole, and he's going to beat Cena's ass with the pole. So, I mean, I like what they're doing with Ambrose, and he's one of those guys that when he speaks – he really sounds like he's speaking from the heart, like it's not a script. There are lots of guys, whenever they do a promo, it sounds like they're reading off a teleprompter. But Ambrose is a guy that when he speaks, you believe what he is saying. He really does come off like this unstable lunatic that's just talking off the, off, off the top of his head. So in that regard, I like what they're doing with Ambrose and watching his character develop, and I like seeing him challenge Cena. And the fact that at the end of the night... Dean Ambrose got a victory over the Super Cena. That, again, was huge. I remember lots of people on social media, on Twitter, everybody was tweeting that there's no way in hell that Ambrose is going to beat John Cena. And it's probably going to be Ambrose versus Randy Orton. And John Cena, of course, taking the spotlight and being in the main event against Seth Rollins. So unless something changes next week, because with the WWE, you never know, uh, I like the ending of Ambrose getting the win and beating Cena. Of course, in that regard, they did protect Cena because he didn't get a pinfall. He didn't make Cena tap out. But what happened was John Cena did the attitude adjustment to Kane, and as he was busy with Kane on his shoulders, that was when Dean Ambrose climbed up the top rope, reached for the contract, and by the time Cena saw where Ambrose was, 
it was already too late. So that's how Ambrose won the contract on the pole match. But still, a victory is a victory. And if you can get a win over Cena, you know, not many people have gone past the giant wall that is John Cena. I mean, just as Damian Sandow, as Dominic pointed out, he has this sort of comedic role in which now they're more focused on him. Again, I don't have a problem with that because it's a way to develop Damian Sandow, a guy who after he won Money in the Bank hasn't done anything with the company. They were putting him in the most ridiculous uh, gimmicks and characters every week. It was just embarrassing Now he has this gimmick with The Miz that's slightly better. Again, I said it before, I'd rather see them as a tag team, and that way they could have them split, and then Sandow could finally maybe get a a steady push. But right now they're still developing it. You can hear the fans cheering for Sandow. They're not even cheering for Miz. They're not cheering for Sheamus. The fans are focused on Sandow, and that's a good thing because there was a time when nobody gave a crap about Sandow. So even though he's in this ridiculous uh, gimmick and character and he's imitating the Miz he's wrestling the invisible man ringside it's a way to develop his character and we all know he can wrestle I think as we pointed out before he was one of the last uh, students of Killer Kowalski so we know this guy can go all he needs is just the right character and the right momentum and hopefully the WWE taking this time to uh, focus on him and put the spotlight on him during a wrestling match where he's not even wrestling Hopefully that's a good sign that maybe they're going to give him another shot. Uh, also, I agree with Dominic, the match between Dolph Ziggler and uh, Randy Orton. It was a nice, lengthy, uh, quality wrestling match, something that you don't see on Raw too, too often, despite the fact that they have time, they have the three hours to invest in quality wrestling. But they did in this match, Ziggler, Orton. And i got to say, Orton looked pretty refreshed. Didn't you notice that? I mean, I don't know. There's rumors going around that maybe uh, Orton has a lighter schedule right now, and he's not doing a lot of live events. He's just kind of focused on the TV appearances for now. And it showed because Randy Orton came down. He looked refreshed, looked like a million bucks. He really seemed like he was enjoying himself, and he was listening to the audience and feeding off of them. And uh, the match was great. The end was something where Dolph Ziggler went to do his uh, Famouser and uh, Orton caught him in like a powerbomb move, and from the powerbomb position, he kind of turned it into a flapjack in which he pushed Dolph Ziggler up into the air, and as Dolph was coming down, he turned it into an RKO, which just looked beautiful. It was a That was unbelievable. Play. I don't know how yeah. he hooked in that RKO in midstream. Like, he, he made the adjustment from one move to the other in a split second and caught him. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. From a power bomb to like a flapjack to the RKO, it was a great way to, to end a really great match, and that was definitely probably the highlight of the night. Uh, Seth Rollins, Jack Swagger, you know, they didn't, it was, they didn't give it as lengthy of a time, but they tried to make it a sort of quality match. But uh, this was mostly just to do what, uh, what Orton did in, uh, in Seth Rollins, where Rollins came in and sort of did the curb stomp to Ziggler to get in his face. And there was actually one moment, I don't know if it was during the Orton match or the Rollins match, it might have been during the Rollins match, when Orton came out and then RKO'd Swagger. Orton and Rollins got face-to-face, and the fans were going crazy. They thought 
that at that moment these two guys, these two authority guys, were going to come to blows and just beat the hell out of each other. There was a, a buzz in the air. The fans felt something big was coming, and then, of course, nothing happened, so people were disappointed. But hopefully, as we've talked about before, maybe we're going to be seeing a face turn for Randy Orton, and you know, maybe we'll see Randy Orton now challenge the authority. I don't know. But uh, it seems that the fans want to see Orton and Rollins get into it. Uh, as we pointed out, uh, the main event, like at Cena, Ambrose, I think they only had maybe about 15 minutes left in the show. And, you know, it was okay for what it was. Ambrose was doing, you know, the best he could. Cena was doing all right. Uh, the, the match they had at the start of the show, the triple threat tag match, you know, was okay. Again, they didn't have a lot of time to put together a quality match because these guys were going to be wrestling in the main event. But I liked the way that uh, Ambrose got the win, something that I didn't think was going to happen. Nobody really saw that coming. Everybody assumed that Cena would just roll right over Ambrose like he does everybody else. So I was happy to see Dean Ambrose get a win over the unbeatable John Cena. So hopefully Ambrose Rollins inside Hell in a Cell, those guys should steal the show. Okay, uh, JJ, uh, let's talk about the, uh, what is it, TLC, uh, DLC, something, another, can you tell me about Yes, uh, of course, the new news came out about the new upcoming WWE 2K15, the video game. Of course, it it is released on PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, October 28th. It is then released on November 18th on the next-gen consoles, PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. The uh, pre-order of Hulk Hogan, the special edition, has been sold out. So the only way you're going to get that is on eBay or Amazon. Uh, Of course, if you pre-order before it comes out, you get to play as Sting. We went over the roster before, but they just announced a new downloadable content, DLC. They're introducing a WCW pack in which you can play as Fit Finley, Steven Regal, Uh, William Regal, of course, in WCW was known as Lord Steven Regal. So you can play as Lord Steven Regal. Also, Bam Bam Bigelow and Diamond Dallas Page and Lex Luger are available in the WCW pack. Uh, They also have an NXT pack in which you can play as JBL, who people are wondering, well, why is JBL in the NXT pack? Well, during the first run of NXT, he was sort of considered the general manager of NXT. So you can play as JBL. You can also play as Adam Rose. And you can also play as the Ascension, Connor and Victor. And, of course, Emma is in that as well. They have the season pass, which if you purchase the season pass, you'll be able to play as Paige, and you have access to the 2K DLC Showcase. Now, we talked about the 2K Showcase, which involves John Cena, uh, his uh, rivalry with CM Punk, uh, Triple H's rivalry with HBK, but uh, this new uh, showcase that you can get on the season pass or you can buy individually features Christian and Randy Orton, their whole one more match feud over the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, you can also get the Hall of Pain showcase, which features Mark Henry taking on uh, various superstars when he inducted them into the Hall of Pain, uh, guys like you know the great Kali and, and so on. Also, they introduced the Path of the Ultimate Warrior showcase, in which you can play as the Ultimate Warrior. He is back. 
in 2K15, and you can have Ultimate Warrior versus Andre the Giant, the Honky Tonk Man, Rick Rude, the Macho King, and uh, Sergeant Slaughter. So these are new wrestlers that weren't previously announced on the roster that are featured in the game that you can play as, so that's uh, very exciting. The uh, the roster is about as close uh, as they have to the roster that you see now. Only a few superstars, to my knowledge, didn't make the cut this year. Zack Ryder, Layla, uh, Alicia Fox, and Cara, Los Matadors, Heath Slater, they did not, uh, as far to my knowledge, they haven't been revealed to be in the game yet, but uh, everybody else should be in there, including Alberto Del Rio, uh, CM Punk, of course, Chris Jericho, Rob Van Dam, also in the game, Batista and The Rock and the Brock Lesnar. Uh, some of the NXT guys were just announced to be in the game. We went over that last week. Adrian Neville, Sami Zayn, Bo Dallas, Rusev, Corey Graves. So uh, it's very exciting. More more wrestlers were announced. The Ultimate Warrior pack uh, was a surprise. I didn't expect that, especially a lot of the old school legends. So that is the the new newest infer, newest news on uh, WWE 2K15 and the DLC packs and showcase modes. Those guys that you mentioned that didn't make it to the game, could they be hidden characters? Um, there's a, a good possibility that they won't be hidden characters because uh, they do have points where you unlock wrestlers, but okay. chances are okay. they'll have wrestlers that they already announced. Like maybe. Uh, you know, Brie Bella or Bray Wyatt or Eric Rowan or Luke Harper might be a hidden character you can unlock if you're pre- if you're playing the story mode. Uh, like I said, the DLC packs come out usually. Uh, the game is released in October, so maybe in December, maybe the WCW pack will be available. Maybe in January, the NXT pack will be available. These uh, DLCs aren't available at launch. It's something that they usually do, you know, every so much to keep it fresh and to keep you playing the game. Uh, the hopefully the showcase, the showcase uh, storylines and feuds between Christian Orton, uh, Mark Henry's Hall of Fame, and the Ultimate Warrior Pack. I hope that they're available at launch, but uh, I'm not sure. But as far as the WCW NXT packs, those will be available right away. So those are something you'll have to wait to play. And if you don't uh, get the DLC, then you won't be able to play as those uh, wrestlers in the game. You have to to purchase the DLC. Now, my friend's son is 10 years old. The kid's a freaking genius. He, with his video game, I don't know which one it is he's got, but he can create a wrestler. And he oh, yeah. he actually created Willow oh. of TNA and put him in a WWE game. Yes. You can create wrestlers. So let's say you want AJ Styles in the game. He won't be 100% accurate, but if you go to the create a wrestler mode, you know, basically they give you the tools to sort of create a wrestler from scratch. They give you the mold of the, the, the wrestler's body. You can get the hairstyle, the eye colors, the color of the skin, whether they're big or small or fat. You know, you can uh, do their body type. And then, of course, the ring attire is something you can sort of do. You can introduce whether they want a, a singlet, whether they want ring tights, or whether they want trunks. And then you can edit the colors. Maybe you can put a logo, or you can you can even add a name. You have to put you know maybe A and then J and then S and then T and then you know spell out AJ Styles. But uh, it may not be a hundred percent accurate, but you can get pretty close. They give you 
you know, the tools to create whichever wrestler you want, whether it's TNA or you can even recreate some of those uh, Wrestle 1 guys you saw at Bound for Glory, uh, wrestlers who aren't in the WWE, you can, you know, create anybody. You can create even a, a character from a, a video game. I've seen people create, you know, let's say a Spider-Man character or a Batman. You know, there, there are certain ways where depending on how you create uh, your wrestler, you can create lots of different, uh, even characters outside of wrestling, just, you know, characters and movies and stuff like that. So it's pretty in-depth, and they give you a lot of tools to really do anything that your imagination can come up with. Now, this kid created his own figure. I mean, his own his own, his own wrestling. He put together different things, and yeah. he plays up against a machine. Like, he'll mm-hmm. he'll make himself whatever wrestling he wants to be, an imaginary guy that he cooked up. And he'll put him against Warrior. He'll put him against Yoko. He'll put him against uh, Diamond Dallas Page, whoever. Yeah. And he it's a wrestler that he created that doesn't even exist. He made yeah. it up, and he put him into all these storylines. Yeah, it's pretty on, cool. On a video game. Yeah, yeah. The uh, creative process, like I said, you can create your own wrestler. You can even create your own arena. So let's say you want to create uh, an arena that resembles something close to uh, WCW Nitro with the ring ropes. You may not be able to uh, have the stage, but maybe the ring ropes, the turnbuckles, certain colors, the mats. You can create even your own uh, wrestling ring. But uh, the the creator wrestler is definitely very impressive, very in-depth. As I mentioned, they give you so many tools. You can even try to create yourself. You can try to put yourself uh, in the video game. Oh, that's different. i got to tell this kid that. He, he could probably make up his own self. Yeah. Yeah, Blackjack was just telling me that, uh, you know, front row Vladimir, uh, Dominic. Yeah, sure. He, Okay, he create he created himself in the game. That's oh, nice. No, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, we got a big WWE release. A man that was in the WWE for quite some, uh, almost a decade, almost. Uh, JJ, what's the latest on that? Yeah, it was very surprising. You know, this was something I thought was a joke. You know, I'm watching Raw. Raw just ended, and of course, I'm on social media. And of all things, I saw. MVP, I saw MVP, I saw Jim Ross, I saw guys who weren't even in the WWE tweet about Justin Roberts. I'm thinking, well, what happened? I just saw the guy on on Raw, he did the ring announcing in the main event, what the hell's going on? And then they were saying that Justin Roberts was immediately released from the WWE. They even had uh, links that made it official. You could go to WWE's website and see that they they did, in fact, release Justin Roberts. It's a surprise Everyone, according to the website, they opted not to renew his contract. That's just what they put on the website. But it just seems like it happened out of nowhere. And so many people were shocked uh, were or sad. Justin Roberts, who's been with the company since, I believe, 2002. And he did a lot of live events. You know, I kind of like the guy because he was born in Chicago. So he's one of my Chicago boys. But, uh, you know, he was uh, known in ECW on the Sci-Fi channel. He did the ring announcing there until he eventually moved up to Raw in uh, 2009. And he's been on Raw ever since. You know, he replaced Lillian when Lillian went to pursue her uh, her music career. And it was just a real surprise. I didn't see that coming. Uh, A lot of people are sad to see him go. And, of course, now things are going to change. And I'm sure maybe Lillian will go back to doing Raw. 
Maybe we'll have someone else doing SmackDown. So I'm not really sure what the ring announcing is going to do and how they're going to change it. But uh, it's sad to see him go because he's someone who really loved the wrestling business. You know, he really uh, loved being there. Yeah. So it's a shame to see him go. Voice, too, for the ring announcing. You know, he's pretty good at, at his craft, I would say. That's my opinion. Yeah, so. yeah I enjoyed uh, hearing him every every week. He was great. There was even a time when he was on an episode of Total Divas, believe it or not. And uh, they were going to let Eva Marie do the ring announcing for main event. And Justin Roberts was very cool. And he talked to her and he told her not to be nervous. And he said, you know, do your best to remember the, the guy's names and where they're from. And, of course, Eva Marie screwed it up because uh, she was supposed to announce 3MB. And I think she was supposed to, you know, say, you know, obviously he's Slater, Drew McIntyre, and Jinder Mahal. And instead, Eva Marie called it Hinder Mahal. So then everyone was kind of busting his, uh, her chops and kind of laughing at Hinder, Hinder Mahal. She forgot it's Jinder Mahal, so he was pretty upset. But uh, Justin Roberts, you know, again, it showed that he was cool. He was trying to help her. But, you know, Eva Marie, uh, you know, I don't know if there's much you could do to help her. But uh, he was always a really cool guy. And if you followed him on Twitter, he would take lots of photos uh, at the arena, even when he was in the ring. He would take pictures of the fans who were ringside. He would take pictures of uh, the championships every once in a while. He would be able to uh, hold the title. You know, they would put the title in his lap, and oftentimes you might see a wrestler go to that one corner where the timekeeper is, and they take the title from him because, you know, his job was just to, you know, he sit in the corner, wait for the match to end, and then announce the winner. But every once in a while he would hold a, a title, so he would always brag that he's holding the WWE Championship or the Intercontinental title or even the Divas title. So he was just a really, he seemed like a really cool guy. Now, I read something about Justin Roberts that he was arguing with Michael Cole all throughout Monday Night Raw, that he even gave Michael Cole the finger for whatever it was they were arguing about. That mm-hmm. didn't come out yet, but I probably will in a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. not sure if, uh, if he knew, maybe, if they were going to release if according to WWE, and if it's true that they were going to release him when his contract was over, if that's true, and if you're Justin Roberts, then really, I mean, what are you going to do, get in trouble for flipping off Michael Cole? You could do whatever the hell you want. So if I'm Justin Roberts, you know, I'm not going to listen to anybody. If someone's going to give me crap, you know, I'm not going to, I'll do whatever I want. What are they going to do, fire you? You're already going to be fired Yeah, you're by already going to get, yeah, so. you're already gone, so... So I'm not sure if that was the case, or if, or maybe that led to his firing. Because I, I, you know, I think I'm not maybe sure. that led to it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. They still Very got Tony Schimmel there, don't they? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, but they don't use him, right? Yeah, no. they don't really use him that often. Maybe you might hear him on maybe main event, but they even they use now, I think, uh, Cody Rhodes' wife, Eden. Oh, yeah, know. that's right. Who did so they use on the sure. road for house shows? Yeah, that might be the only place they use Chimmel now. Oh, okay. Interesting. And uh, Friday marked the uh, 15th anniversary. JJ, why don't you uh, oh. give us uh, your thoughts on that, and then we'll go over to Dominic for his thoughts. 
Well, it's hard to believe yeah. that SmackDown, if you can believe it, has been around for 15 years. Uh, oftentimes people forget the pilot episode. I don't know if uh, a lot of people remember the pilot. Usually they talk about that first episode that involved uh, The Rock and Triple H for the title, and Shawn Michaels was the referee. That was, I think, the technical first episode back in August of 99. But the pilot episode was actually back in April uh, of 99, and it featured the Blue Blazer. The Blue Blazer defeated Val Venus. Uh, D'Lo Brown defeated Draws. Uh, Ken Shamrock defeated uh, Bradshaw. Mankind defeated the Big Boss Man. And it had the tag team of Austin and The Rock defeating the corporate ministry of Undertaker and Triple H. Taker, of course, had Paul Bear in his corner. Triple H had China. And they didn't even have the blue setup yet. This was still like a, an alternate raw. They had the raw ropes and uh, the red ropes, I mean. And uh, they didn't even have that sort of blue theme yet. That's something that they developed once they kicked off the sort of premiere official episode in August. But SmackDown has, believe it or not, had some really great moments over the years. Uh, they showed highlights of when Austin destroyed the DX bus. Uh, one thing they didn't show that I loved was back in uh, 2000 when they had this controversy in ECW where Mike Awesome was the ECW champion. He left to go to WCW and had to have Awesome drop the title to somebody. And ECW somehow got in contact with Taz, who was a WWE superstar at the time. And Taz a WWE contracted superstar just defeated Mike Awesome, a WCW contracted superstar for the ECW championship. And Taz would yeah, go on SmackDown. That. Taz would go on SmackDown as the ECW champion holding the ECW title. And he had a match with, of course, the WWE champion at the time, Triple H. I think that's something nobody ever thought they would see. And uh, I was glad WWE did that. Of course, Triple H beat Taz. They even had Tommy Dreamer uh, interfere in the match, and he got a pedigree from Triple H. And there were rumors going around. That everyone thought Dreamer left ECW, but Tommy Dreamer, true and true, stayed with ECW. But it was just one of those rare moments that was really special. That the ECW champion and ECW was still alive, and it was still alive. <laughs> I don't know if it was doing well, but it was still alive in 2000, early 2000. So to see Taz uh, with the title on a WWE programming, fighting the WWE champion was just unbelievable. They've had some great matches uh, during the Alliance when Austin took on Rob Van Dam for the first time. I think that was maybe in 2001 or so. And Austin was just uh, the leader of the Alliance, and he, he challenged the first Alliance member he saw, and if you were Rob Van Dam would be that superstar and it would be the first time that RVD would have a match against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Of course, uh, they showed, you know, moments of that special tribute episode uh, of 9-11. It was September 13th and it was live. One of the very rare live SmackDowns. Uh, it was a very special episode, of course, due to what happened on September 11th. It was a very emotional uh, episode. If you remember, just Lillian Garcia singing the national anthem, I think it brought you know tears to just everyone. It was just such a real raw emotional moment. And uh, it was kind of scary, too, just because it was the first public live event since the attack. You know, a lot of sporting events, 
closed their games. They postponed their games just out of fear, just because you didn't know if the attacks were over. You didn't know if they were going to be bombing or having something happen at an, a major event with a large uh, group of people. So, you know, props to the WWE for, you know, having the ball to literally, you know, put in a huge event together and to make it live in a, a time that was actually very scary and a lot of people weren't sure what was going to happen. So it was a, a very emotional time then. Uh, speaking of something a little bit lighter, of course, WWE showed the footage of Austin and Booker T. Again, this was after the alliance was over, and they were in the grocery store. It was just this kind of ridiculous uh, brawl where Austin and Booker were fighting and you know throwing food, pouring milk on each other. It was just kind of ridiculous. But at the same time, it was just kind of funny. Uh, believe it or not, SmackDown. SmackDown paid the debut of the 12-time WWE champion Randy Orton. Randy Orton defeated Hardcore Holly back in 2002. Of course, everybody remembers John Cena's debut against Kurt Angle. Uh, that was June 2002 as well. Uh, the infamous Brock Lesnar versus Hulk Hogan. Again, that was 2002. The Billy and Chuck wedding took place on SmackDown in 2002. <laughs> There was a, a match between Edge and Eddie Guerrero, which I think Edge had said that this was a match that uh, it was, I think, a no disqualifications match. And Eddie and Edge were battling. Uh, they pulled out all these weapons and ladders. And Edge said that and I think it was in that match that uh, he screwed up his neck and would eventually need surgery. But uh, it was a really big moment for Edge because at the time, even though he was known as a tag team wrestler, uh, he was just starting to get this push, and they were putting him in these main event scenarios. He even had a fatal four-way with Eddie and Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, and it was his first taste uh, of being a main eventer and you know fighting for uh, the number one contendership for the WWE title. So it was a big moment for Edge's uh, career. There was, of course, that moment where Lesnar and Big Show did that uh, top rope suplex that exploded the ring, and even you could hear Taz, who's the ring announcer at the time, just chant, holy shit! You know, and how often do you hear a ring announcer you know, break out a character and say something like that? So it was something he really sold it, and uh, it was all on SmackDown. Uh, Rey Mysterio, Rey Mysterio main-evented SmackDown for, in a cruiserweight title match believe it or not. If you could imagine the Cruiserweight title, which has always been a, a second thought, has always been kind of a joke in WWE. They don't really care about the Cruiserweights. But in one instance, Rey Mysterio main-evented SmackDown with Matt Hardy, and Matt Hardy was still doing that version one character. So there was a lot of stuff going on. Of course, I think back in 2001, there was that infamous uh, gore by Rhino, where Rhino gored Chris Jericho, and they destroyed... Uh, the entrance stage, and of course back then they had that giant fist uh, above the stage, the SmackDown fist, and when uh, Rhino gored Jericho, that was pretty much the end of the fist. But uh, so many great moments. Uh, of course, Lesnar, Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle having a 60-minute Iron Man match on SmackDown. Pretty rare to see an Iron Man match on television, but Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar did it. And I remember it was a, a just a classic, and it's a shame it wasn't on pay-per-view because those two guys really put on a quality match. Uh, another match, not not so much a match, not so much a great moment, but a moment maybe we all wish we could forget. Uh, Tory Wilson's dad, Al Wilson, oh, getting oh. married 
to Don Marie. I think that was in January of 2003. The wedding was over the top and ridiculous. Don Marie was trying to seduce Tori Wilson's dad, who I believe was her real father. It wasn't, uh, you know, an actor or anything. And there was a moment where Don Marie, I don't know, took off his clothes and they were in their underwear rolling around. It was just, it was something I, I wish I could forget, but once you see it, you just can't unsee it. Uh, the Eddie Guerrero WWE title <laughs> celebration. Eddie Guerrero did this celebration when he won the title from Brock Lesnar, and they had confetti. I think they even had the Marion. Uh, I forgot they had. It's the big like sort of party for uh, Eddie when he won the the title. It was a really big moment uh, in 2004. Also in 2004, Carlito. Carlito, Caribbean Cool, debuted, and he defeated John Cena uh, for the United States title in his first match. So a lot of people thought, you know, big things were going to happen for Carlito. Uh, you know, Eddie Guerrero, they started that whole I'm your poppy with uh, Rey Mysterio and his son Dominic, and uh, that all started on SmackDown. And they had a great match at SummerSlam, but they had a rematch the uh, Rey Mysterio won the smack the uh, SummerSlam ladder match, and of course he won the contract. He won his son back, but they had a rematch on SmackDown with Eddie and Rey, in which Eddie got the victory over Rey Mysterio, and it was a really cool moment. Even though Eddie Guerrero, who at once was a, such a beloved uh, babyface when he was the champion, he completely turned that over, and he really became one of the most hated men on SmackDown when he did that I'm Your Poppy uh, storyline with Ray, and uh, it was just a way for Eddie to get a win, so that was, you know, it was a, good for Eddie. It was great to see him get a win, even though at that time he was the bad guy, and, you know, you weren't supposed to be rooting for him. But uh, other great moments, uh, when Edge cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase on The Undertaker, and this, I believe, was the third uh, Money in the Bank uh, cash-in. Edge, of course, was the first, and Rob Van Dam was the second, but then Edge would go on to regain the Money in the Bank briefcase after defeating Mr. Kennedy, and he would cash it in on Undertaker on an episode in 2007, of course, Edge would then go on to have a wedding with Vicky Guerrero. That was oh in 2008. And uh, Edge, of course, was cheating on Vicky with uh, Alicia Fox. Believe it or not, Alicia Fox was back in the WWE in 2008. She was supposed to be the wedding planner, and instead she was planning something else with Edge. Uh, there was also a great moment in which uh, CM Punk was mocking Jeff Hardy and he came out dressed up in uh, Jeff Hardy's makeup, his ring gear, and uh, it was just a really great moment when he was doing the Straight Edge Society, and eventually it would lead to a match, a match for the World Heavyweight title, in which it would be the title versus the career, and CM Punk beat Jeff Hardy, and it would be Jeff Hardy's final appearance in uh, the WWE. Uh, another time where somebody mocked another superstar, maybe you remember Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels mocking The Undertaker, and we all know The Undertaker would come out in black in his trench coat and his hat. The under, uh, Shawn Michaels would come out all in white. He had a white hat, a white trench coat, and he did a really great promo against uh, The Undertaker. Of course, during that WrestleMania, he even continued to wear that gear, but that actually first happened on SmackDown. Uh, Jack Swagger, Jack Swagger also cashed in Money in the Bank on Chris Jericho. Jericho was in this feud with Edge. Edge speared Jericho, and Swagger cashed in Money in the Bank, winning his first and only world title. 
And, of course, most recently, uh, last year to be precise, the Shield, the Shield who were ru- uh, running rough shot. Uh, SmackDown was basically their show. It was their show to develop the, those three guys. They put on so many great matches on SmackDown, one of which was probably the biggest highlight for the Shield was when they triple powerbombed The Undertaker. The Undertaker was a guy who you only saw in WrestleMania, yet he worked one SmackDown just to put the Shield over. He wrestled a match against Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose might have lost the match by a disqualification, but the Shield triple powerbombing The Undertaker was something that uh, no one ever forgot. And it it really was a great moment for the Shield as a unit. And there were even times when SmackDown first started, believe it or not, that it would beat Raw in the ratings. SmackDown was such a hot show, and it was really a wrestler show. It was a show, as I mentioned, some of the names like The Shield, Eddie Guerrero, uh, CM Punk and Jericho and Angle and Lesnar and so many guys who uh, were just a part of the SmackDown brand at the time. It was really a wrestler's uh, wrestling show, and it was beating Raw. Raw was, of course, the Triple H show. It was maybe the Evolution show. It was, you know, the whole Vince McMahon and, you know, DX show. But SmackDown, you always saw some really great uh, quality wrestling. So it's hard to imagine 15 years, this uh, recent SmackDown we saw Kane. Kane took on Adam Rose and gave Adam Rose his first loss. Finally, uh, Kane was a part of the very first uh, SmackDown. So 15 years, and Kane is still still going strong. Uh, maybe he's not being used, you know, right. That's that's a topic for debate. But it was nice seeing Kane get a victory and uh, defeating Adam Rose. Uh, also, we saw you know Seth Rollins and Kofi Kingston. We saw a very interesting sort of uh, segment between The Authority and The Rock, something they taped back uh, when Rock was in Brooklyn on Raw. They taped a little segment so they could air it on the SmackDown 15th anniversary. And it was an exchange of Rock and Triple H sort of challenging each other, saying who's better and whether or not that they would have one more match. And Triple H said, well, you name the time, the place, the WrestleMania, and we'll find out who's the best. So whether or not we see this at WrestleMania 31 or WrestleMania 50, uh, it seems like they're teasing this potential feud to end their their long, long, long 15-year rivalry, the Rock and uh, Triple H. Of course, they did a match that was uh, to discuss the greatest general manager in SmackDown. They actually invited Vicky Guerrero to be a part of the show, but Vicky, who's, you know, she left wrestling, she put wrestling behind her, she has a new job, and she couldn't uh, leave her job to, you know, do some goofy appearance, so she's, you know, obligated to her work, so she couldn't make uh, the SmackDown anniversary show. From what I understand, Paul Heyman was at the 15th anniversary show, but he wasn't featured in the televised broadcast. He was featured before the show started in which he talked to the fans. He talked about being one of the general managers of SmackDown back in the day. But uh, there's a point I'm getting to is they had a, a what I believe was a 15-man uh, tag match, which resulted with Team Theodore Long, Teddy Long, came back for a one-time appearance, and Team Johnny, John Laurinaitis, who came back, both were general managers at SmackDown at one point. It was a 15-man 
match. Of course, it featured Mark Henry, Sheamus, Swagger, the Usos, Los Matadors, and also El Torito taking on Team Johnny, which was the Rhodes brothers, Cody and Goldust, uh, Slater Gator, Heath Slater, and Titus O'Neil, and of course their little Gator Hornswoggle, uh, Bo Dallas, Mizdow, and Cesaro. Team Teddy got the victory. It's hard to believe. Out of 15 years of SmackDown, Theodore Long was the general manager for six of those years, believe it or not. And uh, the end of SmackDown was a Miz TV sort of a segment between, of course, The Miz, John Cena, and Dean Ambrose. You know, this was a case where they kind of put, of course, uh, John Cena over. We saw uh, on the Raw Brooklyn show where Dean Ambrose kind of did his dirty deeds to John Cena, and he was the last man standing. But on SmackDown, John Cena got revenge, and he kind of threw the Miz uh, into Ambrose, and his Ambrose hit dirty deeds on the Miz. Cena hit the attitude adjustment on Dean Ambrose, ending the show. But at least, you know, Dean Ambrose would get the the win on the following Monday Night Raw, and he's headed to Hell in a Cell. So hopefully it all evened out for Dean Ambrose. And, you know, he has a, a great match at Hell in a Cell with Seth Rollins. Okay, I got a question for Dominic via Blackjack. Blackjack says his favorite ring announcer was, uh, okay, it's Jimmy Lennon, and he wants to know uh, if you agree with that, A, and if not, who is yours, Dominic? Yeah, Jimmy Lennon was great. I could say Jimmy Lennon was in my top five ring announcers. Jimmy Lennon from the old Olympic Auditorium, the legit uncle of the singing Lennon sisters. He was amazing. He was one of the best ring announcers out there, without a doubt. And Joe McHugh up here in the East Coast, my name is Joe McHugh. He had Buddy Wagner up here. He had a lot of good ring announcers back in the day. I think uh, Jimmy Lennon, he was even in a lot of movies playing a ring announcer. He was just that good. Ray Morgan, I think he just wrote me. Ray Morgan. Yeah, as a commentator. Ray Morgan was excellent. A one-man ring announce team that you don't even see anymore. Now it's always two guys, three guys, and a lot of times they talk among themselves. Ray Morgan was by himself, and whether he liked it or not, but he loved it, he had to call the match that was in the ring. He had nobody next to him to talk to. No jokes, no fooling around, just calling the match. Ray Morgan... Definitely in a class by himself, a one-man announced team. And he asks about Bill Cardell. Ah, uh, Bill Cardell was good. Bill Cardell was good. He could call the matches and yet be funny at the same time. He had a sense of humor about him. Bill Cardell was very good, even interviewing the wrestlers. And a friend of mine took pictures recently at a autograph signing, maybe a year ago, and Bill Cardell still looks like Bill Cardell, only with white hair. Okay. Uh, well, we got some information on Jim Ross and Jim Johnson. Let's take a listen to this clip. We'll talk on the other this side. This comes from Good Matthew, stuff. who had some really nice words about the podcast, so thank you to him for that. I appreciate that. Out of the following of Vince McMahon's longtime trusted and past successful backstage employees, who do you feel has played the most significant role in terms of the product's success and or dominance? Kevin Dunn, Pat Patterson as an agent, Linda McMahon, Jim Johnston, Brian Gewertz, Vince Russo, Jim Ross, 
Triple H, or Jerry McDevitt? That's an odd last choice to throw in there. I mean, he has been important, but I, you know, I wouldn't say to the uh, success and dominance of the company. That's uh, an interesting list you put together there. I have been uh, thinking about that, and I'm going to say, you know, the three names. I'll, I'll, I'll whittle it down to one, but the three names that jump out at me as being the most important and the most significant: Pat Patterson, Jim Ross, and Jim Johnston. And Jim Johnston, for all the obvious reasons, because I don't think he, he is he is criminally underrated his position in history. Why he isn't in the Hall of Fame, I have no idea. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more than a lot of people do, more than a lot of wrestlers do, including people who were already in. Uh, theme music is a, a huge part of the presentation of every wrestler, and he has had a lot to do with that over the years. And I know now... They're, they're using their own in-house band that they kind of brought in, that CFO money group. My, my impression is that Jim Johnson is still around. I think he's still doing some of the music. He may be working with CFO money. I don't think he's, he's gone. It just seems like they're now kind of taking over and coming up with a lot of that music so that years from now they won't have to worry about dubbing over music because it'll be their own music that they own. So it's smart, I guess, of them to do that. But Jim Johnson does not get nearly enough credit it's just it's sad it's too bad more people don't know who he is because he really is that important a figure in wwe history pat patterson also a very important figure in history uh he's had you know i mean there's been a lot of controversy over the years involving patterson going back to the 80s and the early 90s but despite all of that he's a smart guy i mean the one thing you hear from wrestlers that have worked with him especially on match finishes. He's like the king of match finishes. He's the brainchild behind the Royal Rumble concept. You know, when he used to wrestle out on the West Coast, supposedly he saw there was another promoter whose name escapes me who would have basically Royal Rumble matches. It's not like the Royal Rumble match is something he invented. I think it's something he saw either when he was growing up or when he was wrestling out West and he brought it over. He pitched it to Vince. But he is the brainchild behind the Royal Rumble match in WWE. And very creative guy when it comes to match finishes and things of that nature. Plus, as an on-air character, I talked about the Stooges earlier, Patterson and Briscoe. Fucking great. I love it. So Patterson is definitely an important figure, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, if I have to pick one name, I've got to go with Jim Ross. And that includes his body of work on camera as an announcer and behind the scenes in, in talent relations, scouting talent, pitching talent. I mean, he's talked about this before. He loves to take credit for helping bring Mick Foley into WWE when Vince McMahon wouldn't have given him a second look. You know, JR fought hard for him, and Vince said, fine, it's on you, though. It's on you if this doesn't work. And Foley made it work. He went on to become one of the biggest stars in the history of that company. Uh, he also had a lot to do with recruiting and bringing in Steve Austin, The Rock, uh, Brock Lesnar as well, I believe, although Jerry Briscoe may have had something to do with that as well. So when you really look at everything that he was involved, he, he wore so many hats beyond just the black hat that you saw on TV. He wasn't just an announcer. He was the payroll guy. He was the talent relations guy. He was scouting talent for them. He did radio for them at one point, their, their short-lived radio WWF experiment with him and Gorilla Monsoon that most people probably don't even know ever existed. So he did so many different things for that company, but I think when you look at the people he helped bring in, some of the biggest names in history, some of the biggest names of the Attitude Era, 
you can trace them working for WWE directly back to Jim Ross. And if it wasn't for JR, some of those guys never would have made it in. Not when they did. Timing is everything. Who knows how different things may have been. But I would I would go to him more so for what we all know him for, for the announcing. We complain a lot now about the announcers. Some of it is unfair. A lot of it is not. I think a lot of the criticism is warranted. But like I said, some of it is unfair because they're only doing what they're told. Okay, they're working for a madman who's in their ear constantly, and I'm sure that can't be easy. That being said, the announcing sucks. The announcing right now in wrestling, the announcing right now in WWE sucks. It is terrible. And it's a shame because people who watch this show now, little kids who watch this show, newer fans who watch this show, have no concept of what it's like to watch a wrestling show that has good announcing that can make the show better. Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler at their peak in their prime in the late 90s made the shows better. They made the shows more enjoyable. Lawler was funny. And the banter with him and JR back and forth was great. Jim Ross, he was awesome. He knew exactly how he had to play things. He knew exactly when to get angry. He knew exactly when to be funny and humorous when he had to be. And he told he made you care. He made you care about the guys that you were watching in the ring. He made a match feel special even when maybe there was no reason to think the match was anything special. He had a way of making it feel special, like, huh, okay, this is a big match. I should care. I should give a shit about what I'm about to see. And he is the voice of a generation. He's the voice of so many great WrestleMania main events, so many classic calls. I mean, I, you know, in a lot of ways it was kind of over the top, and he became a caricature in some ways. Now, you, you know, his commentary is dubbed over all these different sports clips and whipped like a government mule and all these different things, but... I think I think that takes away from, you know, who he really was as an announcer. It's almost a shame because he's turned into, uh, in, in some people's eyes, they've made him into this cartoon character. But even with the over-the-top calls, I mean, he was the best at his craft. And growing up at the time, late 90s, a teenage wrestling fan, he was the voice of that whole that whole era to me. I think of I think of his face, and the hat, the whole thing, the whole deal. Even the moment he first came into WWF, I mean, his style of commentary was so different than what we had heard from Gorilla Monsoon and Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan. I mean, shit, somebody who actually knew the names of more than five moves. And the King of the Ring in 1993, to me, is one of my all-time favorite pay-per-views for a lot of different reasons. Bret Hart was a big part of that. But one of the things I loved about that pay-per-view was the commentary. They had J.R., Randy Savage, and Bobby Heenan, who who also did the announcing of WrestleMania 9, but there was something about that pay-per-view that the commentary was, was just, it was special. It was really, really good. It added a lot to the show. I thought those three worked well together. I don't think all three of them worked together ever again. Uh, and I know JR has said that working with Macho Man was really not his, his idea of fun. It was, it was very hard, apparently, to work with Randy Savage on commentary, but they made it work. And the biggest reason of all, just to kind of wrap this up here, that I would go with Jim Ross for all the reasons I just mentioned, but the commentary being the chief thing among them, is look at the product as it is today. The product is not good. And I said before, the, the commentary by and large is dreadful. And it's not entirely their fault, but it's dreadful. It takes away from the action, especially when they're, they're, they're cracking jokes to try to make each other laugh. 
and they're not talking about what's happening in the ring. It's, it's terrible. And think about how many times we, we all agree, we all talk about how the commentary can drag a show down, how we wish there was a mute switch so we didn't have to work for them. There's an innovation for the WWE Network if they want to get people to subscribe. Come up with a way that we can have the option to mute the commentary when it gets that unbearable. How many times have we talked about that? How the commentary can ruin a show. It ruins your enjoyment in the product, and that's, it shouldn't be that way. But then think about Jim Ross. How many times did you feel that way when Jim Ross was, was on Raw, on the pay-per-views, on commentary, doing his thing, whether it was with Lawler, whether it was with Paul Heyman? I thought that was another great announced tandem. You could put him with anybody. Anybody. And they always did a good job. The commentary was never a detriment to the show. And it affected your enjoyment of the product. You may not have even realized it. But how many Attitude Era shows do you think were made that much better by the commentary? Take Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler today, and JBL. Okay, the announced team today. Transport them into the past. Put them in the fucking DeLorean and send them back to 1999. And you have them as your commentary team on any of those pay-per-views. You're going to tell me that that pay-per-view is going to be as good as you remember it being? Of course not. Because the commentary can make that much of a difference. All those great shows that they had, and not all of them were great, but all those great shows they had were made that much better by that guy on commentary. And you don't realize that now that he's gone for so many years, it, it, it really hits you like, holy shit. I mean, I always liked the guy, but you never really truly appreciated him until he was gone. Because look at what we're left with now. They obviously didn't do a very good job of planning for the future. Michael Cole, I think, does a great job, you know, and he has to do a lot of things too. He wears a lot of hats, but who else do they have? You know, we talk about NXT and they're cultivating all of this great talent and they're bringing in guys from the indies and it's great to finally see them, you know, devoting that much time and effort to their developmental system. But what about the announcers? I mean, they're signing new guys here and there, but they haven't, they haven't taken, you know, the last several years to really train the next Jim Ross or the next Michael Cole. They've really neglected that. They dropped the ball. So it makes me appreciate, you know, a guy like JR that much more. Out of all the guys on that list that you just gave me, the one guy who I would say of the bunch who has had the most to do with the success that they have had or they were having was Jim Ross. Eric from Los Angeles, how different would WWE be if it started out as a PG product and then transitioned into an attitude type product? Would this have affected wrestling today? Well, I got news for you, Eric. It did start out as a PG product. <laughs> or at least, you know, late 80s, early 90s was PG and then it kind of started to get a little more risque from there and now we've We've gone back to where we were, where we're PG again, but it's not like this was something new. I mean, they were PG originally. It wasn't like when Hulk Hogan was doing his thing in the 80s. He was uh, pointing at his dick and saying, hey, ladies, you know, it's not going to suck itself. Like, he wasn't doing stuff like that. Uh, that's actually a horrible visual right there. All right, JJ, I want to go to you first on that commentary about Jim Ross and Jim Johnson. Uh, go ahead and give me your thoughts on what... You just heard from the Solomons via TV tracks. Well, right now I'm scarred for life after that image of what he said with Hulk Hogan. But beyond that, uh, you know, he, as he pointed out, he made some really great points, and I, I agree with him uh, wholeheartedly. But uh, Jim Johnson really 
doesn't get the respect he deserves. I mean, how many times do you hear a wrestler and you hear that that theme song and the entrance just over in the arena or on your speakers and you just jump up and you just know that superstar is coming out and you can just feel it. You feel just that rush when you hear their theme song and it's just, it's really awesome. And he's just a tremendous guy. He's creating so many memorable songs uh, over the years, over the, the past, you know, decades that he's been working with WWE and they did release a DVD uh, with Jim Johnson and a lot of uh, how he came up with the songs and a lot of uh, back, back information and, and things like that, which is kind of cool. But, uh, you know, again, he made some great points with, of course, uh, a very controversial figure. But Pat Patterson, Pat Patterson is, you know, Vince McMahon's right-hand man. I mean, that guy is in charge of a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't know about. He's also uh, brought in a lot of talent as well. And as he pointed out, the, the finishes, he could create a finish, you know, at the top of his head without even thinking. If you have a scenario, I think even Chris Jericho at one point talked about uh, having a match and not having a finish and he talked to Pat and Pat easily you know told him okay do this do that and then you know blah 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 and then there's your pinfall and Jericho was like wow how the, how the hell did I miss that you know uh, you know he does a lot that a lot of people don't know about uh, as far as the ring goes and uh, his contributions to the, the WWE and the programming and the talent but again what he said about Jim Ross I mean Jesus I 100% man he nailed it Jim Ross Again, as a guy from the Attitude Era, the voice of that generation, that's just as an announcer. Forget the fact that he was in charge of you know talents and relations. He did so many signings, as he pointed out, with Foley and uh, Lesnar and Austin and so many others that he played a pivotal role in bringing them in. I mean, hell, you don't even have uh, an Attitude Era without the, the Rock and Austin, and these are all people who uh, you know Jim Ross helped bring into the company. And I remember seeing uh, him do a, a little bit in the Beyond the Mat film in which they took a, a special look, uh, of course, behind the scenes with Vince and Jim Ross. And, you know, he was talking to Draws and he was trying to establish what he'd do for the WWE and they were developing his character. So you, that was just a really cool behind the scenes to see what Jim Ross was doing uh, besides his announcing duties. But then his announcing duties, I mean, my God, you know, as, as he pointed out, uh, Jim Ross, really the voice of the Attitude Era, and I can't imagine today's announcers, Michael Cole, JBL, doing that then. I mean, I, I do feel like it would have been dulled down. It wouldn't have been as exciting. Jim Ross, you know, whether he was over the top and it was too much, he was just passionate. You know, he is a guy who really legitimately loves wrestling and he's a guy who knows the moves how many times do you see uh but forget forget jbl and the uh, cole for a minute and even go even further back to when raw first started and vince mcmahon was announcing and he would say what a maneuver he didn't know what the hell the move was but he would just say what a maneuver you know that was just his word to say if he didn't recognize a move or a hold you know i mean jim ross knew a hold. he knew yeah. the, if a move was a Lamahi straw, he knew if it was a he knew that hold. He studied his wrestling. Jim Ross, uh, a tremendous announcer. Whether he was working with, of course, Jerry Lawler, which he's more famous for. But I even remember Jim Ross and Paul Heyman. Those guys were quite a duo. I mean, they didn't last too long. But uh, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman, those guys were quite the pair. But of course, you know, Lawler and Jim Ross were just classic. And I even remember last year. We were uh, talking about WWE 2K14 
the video game, in which we even had Brian Shields on, and he talked about writing the commentary for Jim Ross, so that Jim Ross, even though he's not in the wrestling today, but Jim Ross was featured last year in the video game as, as the ring announcer. So if you wanted to relive the Attitude Era, you could actually hear Jim Ross doing commentary with Jerry Lawler. I remember playing the game, and of course you can hear Michael Cole and Lawler with the present-day superstars, but then playing an attitude match with Jim Ross. It's just a video game. It's just Jim Ross reading the script, but at the same time, like, damn, do I miss Jim Ross. And uh, it's something that I definitely feel today when I hear the announcers, but then he brought up a good point. You know, whether or not you're bored uh, with what the wrestlers are doing, if they do something that's over-the-top or ridiculous, they're just they're just doing what they're told. You know, they're just doing whatever's written on the script. Same goes for the announcers with uh, JBL, with Cole and Lawler. They're doing what Vince is screaming uh, to do for them in their ear, which I can't even imagine. Just talk to Mick Foley to have Vince screaming in your ear, and he left the company. He was done. You know, Foley didn't like that. You know, so it's it's very difficult, but at the same time, there's something missing in today's announcing, whether it's the passion, whether it's the knowledge for the moves, whether it's that corny joke that's just ridiculous and doesn't even fit the match, or that they're having their own private conversation, like uh, Dominic pointed out. It has nothing to do with the match that you're seeing, but at the same time, it really does take away. And if you had maybe more focus on what you're seeing in the in-ring contact, that's something that you saw on Bound for Glory on the pay-per-view. You know, there's a, a few times where they talk about the, the main event with the great Muda. They'll talk about the Hall of Fame with the Team 3D. They'll get off-topic maybe a second or two, but at the same time, Mike Tenay is the professor. There's a reason why he's called the professor, because he has a great knowledge of wrestling and the history uh, of wrestling and the maneuvers. Of course, Taz, also a former wrestler, you know, he knows the moves, and if he doesn't, oh, he'll make it up. But, uh, you know, these guys, you know, they do a great job in TNA. Is TNA the best announcing? Well, no, I don't think it's the best announcing. I miss the days of Jim Ross. And, you know, Jerry Lawler, I missed the days of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan or Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura. I mean, there's been so many great announcers over the years. But to get back to the, the point of Jim Ross and all the, the hats that he wore and what he did for the company, I would have to agree when it comes to, you know, someone besides the actual talent, uh, the wrestlers, besides, you know, Vince and their writers, you know, Jim Ross really did a lot for the company. Jim Johnson, awesome guy. I mean, the music that he's created over the years, so memorable. I mean, you can play it in your head, and you just love it. And Pat Patterson, uh, what he's done with the wrestlers and the matches that we've seen over the years, like I said, you know, whatever goes on uh, with Vince, is usually got to run it through Patterson because he's, you know, his, his right-arm man. But Jim Ross really did so much for that company. He really bled for that company. He got fired a couple times with that company, but he really worked his ass off, man, and he did so much. And like I said, just as a ring announcer, I mean, his stuff is legendary, and there's a reason why he's in the Hall of Fame, and he definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for everything that he's contributed to the WWE that made it so great at the time. Uh, yes, and I want to go to Dominic. Dominic, what's your thoughts on uh, what you just heard on the uh, the, the the clip? Well, when you see good with... old Jr. at ringside, you think Jr. is a great announcer, and damn right he is. But he does so. He was when he was with WWE. He was much, much more than an announcer, and he would do it over the top and make you interested 
And like J.J. said, even if the match didn't mean anything, J.R. would make it exciting. And he would always close out a pay-per-view where something big happened, where Jim Ross would always say something like, I don't believe it, that son of a bitch. And he would get really excited and make you excited. Right now, I'm not excited with the announced team in WWE. I think Taz and Mike Tanay do a better job. Taz knows all the international moves, being a former yes. pro wrestler. And you think JBL would be a little bit smarter than he is. Because sometimes JBL blurts out things that make you say, where'd this guy come from? He just got off the fucking boat from somewhere. But yeah, Michael Cole is very good. And Jerry Lawler, to me, is still funny, but not as good as he was with, with, with uh, Jim Ross. When Jerry Lawler was allowed to say puppies and um, J.R. would say, calm down, Uncle Jerry, and stuff like that, it was all funny. But they gave you passion for the matches. Now they don't. They're having on private conversations. Um, Michael Cole's picking on JBL. JBL's picking on Michael Cole. Jerry Lawler's telling them sometimes, why don't you both shut up and call the match? But then Jerry Lawler <laughs> jokes around and... I think Jerry Lawler used to be a lot funnier. Not, he, not that he's not funny now, but yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, I miss Jim Ross. He was, he was great. He, he was great no matter who he was with, and way different than than when we had Bobby Heenan and Monsoon. But it was that was great in its day, and Jim yeah. Ross was great in his day too. Whether no matter who he was announcing with, Jr. was the man. Pat Patterson. Always had a lot of respect for Pat Patterson as a wrestler, teaming with Ray Stevens, and for what he comes up with backstage. Yeah, that's the Royal Rumble is the brainchild of Pat Patterson, and I give him a lot of credit for that. And, uh, yeah, when they had the Stooges, Patterson and Briscoe with Vince McMahon, that was some hysterical <laughs> Funny. That was funny indeed. Okay, here was some WrestleMania matches that never happened. Let's take a listen and talk on the other side. This audio question comes to us from Jason in the Bronx. What's up, Solid Monster? My question today is, are you satisfied with the Bret Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin match we got at WrestleMania 13, or are you disappointed that we didn't get a return match for Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart from WrestleMania 12? And also, are there any other matches that didn't happen at a WrestleMania that you wished did happen? I was more than satisfied with how things turned out on that WrestleMania. You know, sometimes they say things happen for a reason. I'm sure Bret and Sean would have had a, a, a great match. But Bret Hart versus Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13, I mean, who could be upset that that match happened and went down the way it did and made a career? But uh, even if it didn't make Austin, if Austin would have just kind of fizzled out after that as a match, it was awesome. So I don't, I don't regret that uh, the original match didn't happen at all. I think things worked out quite well. As far as other WrestleMania matches that either were planned or were rumored and never happened, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, there's a whole bunch, and it goes back even to Savage and Steamboat at WrestleMania 4, which I talked about on a recent show. Uh, that would have been a hell of a semifinal match in the uh, world title tournament if they would have gone in that direction instead of having... Steamboat lose in the opening round to Ricky, uh, or rather to uh, Greg Valentine. They could have done Steamboat Savage with Savage going over and getting his win back from WrestleMania three and going on to become the the heavyweight champion. So it's a shame that didn't happen. Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair at WrestleMania eight. 
even though I liked the Savage Flair match that we got, it should have been Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. There really is no excuse for them not to do that match. WCW ended up doing the match themselves a few years later, and they popped a huge buy rate on pay-per-view, and that was in 94, so that was two years later. So you can't tell me that doing the first Hogan-Flair match on pay-per-view wouldn't have done a big number and wouldn't have drawn big business because obviously WCW proved that it did. And WWF dropped the ball on that one. So Hogan versus Flair should have been the main event of WrestleMania 8. It's a shame that it wasn't. Hulk Hogan and Steve Austin at WrestleMania 18. Austin could have had the match if he wanted it. If he pushed for it, if he accepted it, it would have been Stone Cold and Hulk Hogan at the Sky Dome. I understand the reasons why Austin didn't want to do it. He didn't think it would have been a good match. He was in a bad place at the time. And frankly, I think Austin realizes that it would have been a split reaction. I don't think that Steve Austin would have gotten as many boos as The Rock did. I don't think he would have been booed out of the building the way that Rocky was. But I think that he would have been uh, probably not very happy at his reaction being dwarfed by Hulk Hogan. It would have been, look, it was the nostalgia pop that Hogan got. Hogan was going to get cheered by those people who remembered him from WrestleMania 6, no matter what. And I don't think Austin wanted to be showed up by Hogan. I think that was part of the reason why he probably didn't want the match. But if you take all of that aside, the biggest possible match that you could have done, which is one of the biggest dream matches in wrestling history, at least in, in WWE, the two biggest stars, Hulk Hogan versus Steve Austin, they had the chance to do it, and they didn't do it. That would have been huge. Uh, Shawn Michaels and Eddie Guerrero. A lot of rumors that they were possibly building to a match between the two of them at WrestleMania 22, and then Eddie died that November. And I, I believe that. I do believe the rumors, because if you look at what happened, if you look at what Shawn Michaels ended up doing, they put Shawn in a match with Vince McMahon. Now, Shawn went out there and carried Vince to probably the best match that Vince McMahon has ever been a part of. I know, big surprise, Shawn Michaels was able to carry somebody. But if you look at the feud from the way it started, it, it was so disjointed because the way that whole feud started was in, I think, December. And there was a DVD. I can't remember who the DVD was even for. Uh, maybe it was the maybe they did like a Montreal DVD or um, maybe, maybe it was the Bret Hart DVD that had just come out. I, I don't really remember. But it was like Sean in the ring with Vince and Sean made a comment to Vince about get over it. And... Vince was so infuriated by this comment that he entered into a feud with Sean where he was trying to make Sean's life a living hell. It was some innocuous comment that sparked the whole feud. It was like no thought went into it. And I, I think that the reason it came off that way is because it was not plan A. I think plan A was probably for Sean to go in there with an actual wrestler, and that wrestler probably would have been Eddie Guerrero, and I think they would have had one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. I think they really, I think they had the potential to go in there and Eddie was not, you know, physically in his prime at that point. He was already very old and very much uh, beat up and hurting. But I think you take those two guys and you put them in the ring together, one guy wants to show the other one up, boy, I think we really missed out by not getting that match. Uh, and I don't even know if they were ever in the plans, but two more matches that should have happened at WrestleMania, and it's too bad that they never did. I think John Cena and CM Punk deserve to have one match at WrestleMania. Uh, I thought they had great chemistry together. They could have torn the house down. They had a lot of classic matches, the Money in the Bank match in Chicago, that Raw match, I think, from last year. 
uh, in February, which was one of their best matches. And they had other pay-per-view matches, too. But they just had a certain chemistry. And they were two of the biggest stars of the modern era. You know, if you look at this most recent era or generation, whatever you want to call it, I mean, you could throw Randy Orton in there. Daniel Bryan now has made a case. But I think of John Cena. I think of Edge. And I think of CM Punk as three of the biggest faces, three of the biggest names. So having that one Cena versus Punk match at WrestleMania should have happened, and it never did. The other match is John Cena versus The Undertaker. I pitched that match on this show for years with Taker going over because I wouldn't have broken the streak. But the crowd reaction, the near falls in that match that they could have done, it would have been incredible. Even if they did it now, you know, the streak, the streak is done. It's over. It takes away the one thing about that match that would have made it special. Because it's not like I expected John Cena to go in there with The Undertaker and we're guaranteed to get a great match. Maybe yes, maybe no. It could, they could have had a, a pretty crappy match especially if Undertaker's at the end of his rope and Cena's not exactly a guy who's known to go in there and, well, you know, he's going to carry people. That's not what John Cena's known for. I mean, they could go in there and stink out the joint. What would have made that match so special was knowing that the streak is hanging in the balance and people actually believing, holy shit, they're going to have Super Cena go over, John, go over the Undertaker and you know, because he's the golden boy. And he could be put on this pedestal and maybe Undertaker wants to put him over and I mean you would have had people who were just jumping out of their seat you know hoping against hope that John Cena does not break the streak and John Cena is not the one that they put over the Undertaker with the streak being done there's no need to do the match now it's just a regular match so I don't really see the point on the other hand, you know, you, people talk about, well, they can't do the Sting match for the same reason. And I, I'm done talking about this. Okay, I'm, I'm as sick as you all are of hearing about it, but I just bring it up for this reason. Putting Sting in there in a match with The Undertaker, which I'm thinking more and more likely is not happening. I think Undertaker probably is really done. Every time I see him, I just think he's done. But you can still do the match and have a great story, and it makes sense. Because the, way, the only way you could do that match and have it make sense is if you go into that match making it very clear in advance, it will be the last match for both guys. It's, it's the retirement match for The Undertaker and for Sting. And only one guy can win. So in their last match and Sting's first match in WWE, where a lot of people probably figure, okay, he's not going to lose his, his one and only WWE match, but in the end, The Undertaker gets the win. Because I'm sure Sting would have no problem putting him over. But to give that match something, you know, to, to put something on the line, that's how you would do it. It's not about the streak. It's about this is it. This is the end of the line for these two guys, and only one guy can win. Undertaker and John Cena, you can't do that. The only thing that match had going for it was the streak, and you took that away. So they killed it. But I, I think they really missed an opportunity by not having Cena as one of his opponents. Why they had to do two Triple H matches, I don't know. It would have made sense to take one of those years, maybe WrestleMania 28, but then they had the Rock Cena match, so they couldn't do it. So the timing just didn't work. But that's a WrestleMania match I think that should have happened. Okay, a very interesting commentary. Uh, we're a little pressed for time, but uh, let's go over to Dominic first on that commentary. Then we'll go over to JJ. Uh, Dominic, what was your thoughts on what you just heard? Well, regarding the Undertaker streak, to me that should have never been Brock Lesnar to break that streak. I'm not a fan of John Cena, but I'd rather see him do it, if anybody had to do it, 
I'd rather have him do it than, than, than have Brock do it. What has Brock shown us? Not a goddamn thing. He broke the Undertaker's streak because the Undertaker said, this is the guy I want to do it. I don't know what the hell he was thinking either. If it was Cena, it would have been a whole different story. But then again, if they did want to keep the streak intact, which would have been the better thing, still have Undertaker against Cena, but have Undertaker win it and beat Cena. And as far as some of the other WrestleMania matches, yeah, there there are a lot that never happened that we 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 should have seen. And when he brought up Eddie Guerrero against Shawn Michaels, that would have been phenomenal. That would have been one of the best matches ever. And as far as Hogan and and and, and uh, Stone Cold, that match would have stunk up the place. It really would have. Hogan sucks. Yeah. I don't know why he still gets cheered. Maybe now because he only comes out once in a while. But Hogan could never hold a candle to a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hogan never wrestled in the States. He left all his wrestling ability over in Japan where he was trained by uh, Hiro Matsuda. And he used to do suplexes and everything. Then he only wound up doing three moves. And he's going to get in there and give a good match with Austin. I don't care if Austin was to heal. That would have been a way to turn Austin into a fan favorite right away because they would have booed the balls off of Hogan. He can't hang with Austin. That match would have been horrible. And I'm glad they didn't do it. Okay, uh, JJ, your thoughts on those possible missed opportunity WrestleMania matches. I think Hogan and Flair should have definitely been one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Hogan and Flair, I think they even talked about it at, at the, one of the wrestling video game panels. They said Flair Hogan should have happened. Flair wanted to uh, face Austin, but, you know, it wasn't up to him. It was the the officials in the WWE. They eventually decided to go for Savage. But, uh, you know, Flair Hogan would have been an instant WrestleMania classic. Uh, as Dominic pointed out, Shawn Michaels, Eddie Guerrero. I mean, Eddie Guerrero was a guy that, you know, if he if he delivered a match that was subpar, and even subpar today, it would still be five times better than most of the guys today. But if Eddie did something where he felt he messed up or screwed up, he he lived up to his name, Latino Heat. He would get so pissed off at himself. And, you know, no one else would really notice if he did a misstep or anything because he was so good. He was so flawless. Shawn Michaels, someone who just, you know, could have put anyone over. He could have a tremendous match. We even talked about, how, uh, you know, Sean did, made Vince look good. I mean, Jesus, Vince. But it's true. Sean Michaels just is that kind of guy. I mean, Sean Eddie would have been phenomenal for the ages. Uh, I think even if, if Sean came out of retirement, a match that would have been cool to see would have been, you know, Sean Michaels and Daniel Bryan, student versus teacher. That would have been something really great. A match that we talked about before, Kurt Angle, Bret Hart would have been great. Uh, they talked about Bret Hart and Steve Austin, what they would have done different. I wouldn't have done anything different. WrestleMania 13 was perfect. Everything that I could have wanted to happen in that match, even though I'm a Bret Hart guy, I would have loved to see Bret win. But everything that happened in that match was just perfect, and it helped elevate Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then he became the toughest SOB when he was pouring blood down his face and he wouldn't tap out to the sharpshooter. It was an iconic moment for Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, uh, again, I agree, CM Punk, John Cena. Punk always wanted the main event, WrestleMania, never got to do it. He should have main evented WrestleMania, was it 27, with Cena and The Rock as the referee. Instead, they went with The Miz, 
why they went with The Miz. Maybe they felt he had more of a sort of pop culture with the reality show and the media, and he had more, you know, to do with that in WrestleMania. That's what it's all about. But it would have been great to see Punk, Cena. They had tremendous matches together, pay-per-views. As they, they pointed out that one Raw in which Punk did the illegal pile driver, which surprised a, a lot of people, and I'm sure surprised Vince McMahon. And chances are he probably fined him a hundred grand, like he did Batista for for pulling out the foreign object and getting blood. But uh, another match I would have loved to see: The Rock and uh, Shawn Michaels. I think that could have been very interesting, something we never saw. We never saw The Rock and Shawn Michaels. But uh, there's so many matches. Of course, Sting, Taker is another one. Cena, Taker, uh, as Dominic pointed out, if anyone could have beaten the streak, I guess you would have rather maybe see Cena just because you know he's the guy who's there every week. Uh, Even though Cena versus Rock Lesnar. Uh, at WrestleMania, yes, Cena versus Lesnar would have been amazing. Cena, uh, the match they had at Extreme Rules in uh, 2012, I saw that in Chicago. It was phenomenal. It would have been great if they did it at WrestleMania, but it didn't happen. But uh, Cena, Taker, I mean, like I guess Cena just filmed a movie for Judd Apatow, and I thought, much like everybody else, that after SummerSlam, we would be done with uh, John Cena. He'd go away, film the movie. John Cena, whether you love him or hate him, he's still there Every week. He's shooting this Judd Apatow film, and he's still there every week. Whether you love him or hate him, he has a a schedule, a work ethic that is unparalleled. I don't think there's anyone who's a harder worker in the business for what he does. We talked about the many hats Jim Ross does. John Cena wears many hats as well with his Make-A-Wish and uh, all the stuff he does, the media appearances, the talk shows, like I said, movies. And he's still there each and every week, didn't take time off, not a part-timer like Brock Lesnar, not showing up once in a while like The Rock. So Cena, love him or hate him, you know, he's he's a guy who's dependable. He's, he's wearing that WWE flag, you know, like no one else has. Uh, Austin Hogan, that – like Dominic said, would it be a great wrestling match? No. Would it have been a very nostalgic to see the guy from the 80s with the guy in the 90s? Yeah, I think in that regard, much like Hogan and Rock was, just that two generations colliding in that entertainment aspect, it could have been a huge moment, a huge WrestleMania moment. Would it be a huge WrestleMania match? No. And I think Austin was right probably not to be in it and based on the rock's reaction i mean the crowd just crapped all over the rock the rock was the hottest thing at the time and yet the fans were going towards that nostalgia they were going towards seeing hogan who they haven't seen in years and they were cheering him and i think that probably would have happened to austin maybe that's a factor why he didn't do it maybe it was a factor that he couldn't have the wrestling match that he wanted he was going through a lot of issues with his neck so who knows what would have happened austin and hogan and Hogan and Flair and, you know, Shawn Michaels, Eddie Guerrero, Bret Hart and Angle, Cena and Punk. These all would have been tremendous, epic WrestleMania moments and matches, and it's a shame uh, we won't be able to see it. But, hey, if you order WWE 2K15, the video game, you can play it. (laughs) You know, I want to say a couple of things here. I know we're running out of time, but why can't they do Undertaker and Sting at WrestleMania why does there got to be a winner? Why don't Why don't it be a twenty minute twenty minute Iron Man match, and let 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 Kurt let the curfew bell ring, let them hug and say we both had great careers. Too bad we couldn't have met both of us in our prime. 
and end it just like that. I don't think the fans will shit on that. I think they'll love it. Two icons getting together for one last match for both of them. Both of them could ride out together in the sunset and say we both had great careers, regardless of the companies we worked for. We've been in there with the best. We wrestled the best. We are the best right now, and we're we're passing the torch to the next bunch of guys that are going to come along and, and do it that way. I have no problem with that one. Yeah, I mean, JJ, JJ, I yeah. want to compliment you, man. With all the information and all the statistics you just brought to the table tonight, with the with SmackDown going through the years, if yeah. we were in school together, you'd be the guy <laughs> I would ask for my for the fucking homework. <laughs> I second that motion. You were so prepared, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, you brought up stuff that I didn't even remember. Well, I appreciate it, Dominic. Instead you know, of this guy uh, in school with me, I'd be I'd be cheating over looking over his shoulder during the math exam. JJ, move your head a little bit. I can't see question three and four. That's why he's a wrestling insider, for sure. Well, let me he borrow his chemistry to... homework. I know I'm going to fuck up this lab report. Just <laughs> <laughs> okay. two hours go so fast. We're having a lot of fun. We're having a good time. I want one more hour. I'm bored out of my balls Going when is the time going to end here I want to watch Perry fucking Mason Now it's only 10 o'clock I could do this for another two hours it's Just give me time to send out for a pizza And we're in for another hour <laughs> There you go Okay gentlemen We will speak to you next week Same channel same no, time man, same fuck place it. We're doing this shit tomorrow again <laughs> I don't want to wait another week. <laughs> Always a pleasure, guys. We have to okay. wait a week, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Maybe I'll break Texas. into who's on here next. What's the next show on here, King? Thursday, we have two lawyers. Uh, on Thursday, we have Joey Jackson and Mr. Mesero, uh from CNN. And we'll be talking about the movie theater shooting uh, Colorado case that's coming up. We'll be talking about the uh, what, uh, Oscar Pistorius verdict uh, that was reached and some other stuff. Jody Errors, and uh, that will be on Thursday. So if you want to break in at night. Are you going to be hosting that? Yes. Yes. Really? All right, I'm going to call sure. in and say, fuck your shit, we're talking wrestling. Oh, no. <laughs> Come on, JJ, you and me do it, man. We'll hijack the show. <laughs> yeah, like the, the Daniel Bryan movement will hijack King Jordan. Yeah, that's you. it. We'll hijack King Jordan's show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, you guys. We'll you guys have a good week. Take, yeah, take, take it easy, guys. All right, I'll catch up with you next week. Blackjack. Fix your shit, man. We miss your comments. <laughs> okay. Good night, everybody. All right. Good night, guys.